This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I have the pleasure of being joined by my co-host, Sam. And today we are discussing our final book in our series on business and entrepreneurship. And this book is called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, The Difference and Why It Matters by Richard Rumold. And so as the name suggests, this book is all about strategy. You know, this term that you hear being thrown around everywhere. And when you ask like what strategy is, what it means, people don't really have a really good answer. And that's what this book is all about. So the book dissects both good and bad strategy through lots of examples and gives a solid framework to identify both. And on top of this, it provides a blueprint of how to apply strategy in different contexts, but it primarily has a focus on business. So Sam, what was your feeling about the book? I enjoyed the book. I found it it asked a lot of like difficult questions and you're like, oh, well, I don't think I've quite thought about this as much as I thought I had on strategy. But I also found it a bit hard to sort of always pin down whilst listening to it as in like I sort of be thinking good thoughts and I get to like wherever I was going and kind of forget everything I'd listened to. And it's definitely, I feel a better one for like making notes on, which is a common theme <laughs> with half these books and the kind of asking yourself deep questions. So like certainly with like the hooked from the week before, like it has like questions at the end of every chapter. And I've been going through with my whole team and kind of giving them the summary of a chapter. And then we do like a workshop together where we just go through all the questions. And like, I feel like it would be great to have that with this. But yeah, in general, like I think I do want to make sure I've got a few questions to make sure I ask myself to actually go and do some form of exercises around this. Because like, there's lots of really good ideas on strategy and I really think I want to have a, a coherent strategy going forwards because people talk about these things and then doing them is is a completely different beast one thing I did want to mention is you always get to start the show with the pleasure of being joined by me and I'd like to just sort of say how pleased I am to be joining you and as it's Christmas you know it's lovely to be on the show and then I'm always with a oh what did you think Sam and it's like maybe I should be like yeah Nico it's it's just lovely to be spending time with you again and thanks for also making so many more notes than I ever make and running this whole thing so yeah Thanks, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, I felt like this book was, and it probably is supposed to be like a university course, which takes about a year where we have different projects, different things to work on, different case studies. And it's actually a course that I would happily take. You know, most of the university courses are pretty boring, but this one felt very interesting. And as you said, the book is extremely dense. You know, you can space out for a bit and have missed like some very interesting case or very interesting concepts that would be useful in many different places in life in general. So yeah, I think it's a book that we could do a whole season about, but uh, we've obviously tried our best to make it digestible and short. <laughs> so I guess we can focus on, on the main insights. And so first of all, like if I ask you, Sam, what is strategy? What would we say? You have like one sentence to answer. Oh God. It's like basically having like a logical plan where you thought out of the scenarios of how you're going to do things instead of it's coherent around like what you're doing and everything kind of leads into yes. the same plan okay i think you're like 90 percent of the way there because there's one word that i missed in your explanation which is like a challenge or a problem and so the, the way i understood it and and it was said in the book is a strategy is designing a way to overcome a challenge and so basically that sentence is pretty critical because a very big part of a good strategy is a diagnosis of your situation and so there it is pretty critical that you actually define a challenge to be overcome instead of like just, I don't know, talking about goals. We'll, we'll go more into that, but setting a goal is not, it's not a strategy. 
so yeah, that's uh, that's critical. There is it's a good, important place to start. So yeah, let's uh, yeah let's let's delve into some of the the main insights that you had. What is what is one that stuck to you? <laughs> I know that there's so many different things. So I guess just expanding on what you said is in the first part of like diagnosing, and then it's creating like a guiding policy and sort of guide of how you're getting there, and then making sure you have coherent action. So like all action sort of goes into that and doesn't sort of dilute what you're doing or confuse things. And that's sort of the main take home message of the whole book, I feel, is sort of making sure you're doing these things. It's just, but then there's just like so many different places where you can go into where like it goes wrong in different cases. And it seems like it's, it's more a book of how to not mess up or like all the different ways you can not do it. It's like, oh, there's this one simple thing. And then like, there's a million other ways of where you can like not do the simple thing. <laughs> and it's, uh, right. so I guess like that would be my first insight, perhaps. He, he starts off the book pretty early. He discusses uh, the story of David and Goliath. And I found that if if there's one takeaway I have from that is, is specifically that story, because the story of David and Goliath, so there's two different enemy armies facing each other. And so one army, and I think it's the army of King Saul, pushes forward his best warrior, which is Goliath, who is like a ginormous, strong warrior who has never been defeated in combat. And so he challenges anyone to face him. And if anyone is able to beat him, then all army will go away. And so no one of the opposing army dares to step forward except for one young shepherd's boy, which is called David. And so in the end, the king offers David a suit of armor. But David says that he doesn't need it because it's too heavy. And he decides to just go into battle with his clothes and his sling and some rocks. And by slinging rocks towards Goliath, he hits him in the forehead, kills him. And with that, the enemy army flees and the whole battle is over. And so for me, I think it is one of the most important parts of that story for me is the fact that David gets offered a full suit of armor, but he decides not to take it. And that is... For me, one of the biggest insights is that all your actions have to be coherent. And so in this case, David knows that if he tries to fight Goliath, that the way Goliath likes to fight and is to get close and to hit each other with swords, then he knows he's going to lose. If Goliath can ever reach him with a sword, David is already basically dead. And so a suit of armor wouldn't help him at all. He's young, he's light, he's nimble. And so his most important mission is to stay away from Goliath. And so if he stays away from Goliath, he's not going to need that armor anyway, and it's going to actually deter him from staying away. So he decides to not take the armor, which is in line with his strategy. And the strategy is using his advantages, his lightness, his quickness against you know the slowness and all the strength and mass of his opponent. And so for me, I think almost all strategy boils down to this, to use your comparative advantage to get an edge in competition in general. And that for me is a key of strategy. It's to realize, first of all, what the problem is you're facing. Second of all, to realize what your strengths are and to use those to give you an unfair advantage to be able to win. If there's one thing I took away, it's just that. It's a nicely told parable left. I totally agree. It's in, you get told to ignore competition a lot as a startup. And um, you know, people often always try to sort of build all the features that someone else is building or something and it's like well actually you need to focus on what is like the core value that you're delivering and if you're trying to sort of it's very easy to start like competing on the same terms with them like david could have got the same armor and like so for us or something we could be building the same features that are in other podcast new apps that are coming out but then we're doing stuff that's just going to take us more time it's going to slow us down and we're not going to execute on like the key thing that we're trying to build on syncify and so it's sort of it's very easy to get distracted and just get pulled up into like the things that you think are like the normal ways to win because that's what everyone else is doing and so yeah it's a perfect example for that and then the modern version of like building an app or other things very true for the long time listeners last year 
after actually reading the book, The Elephant in the Brain, which I would recommend everyone to read right now, I came to a realization that I was working at a payment company. And so we were the second player in the market. And the first player was owned by the banks and we were developing a competitor to their product. And so it's a mobile payment app. And so I came to, what we were trying to do is we wanted to build a better app than they had. And I came to the realization that they had millions and millions of euros in money to spend on their app. And they had like a team of 20 engineers working on it. And so I came to the realization that it's going to be almost impossible for us to beat them at their game because they have the money, they have the manpower, and it's going to be extremely difficult for us to build something that is more technically advanced. So I realized that it would be way better for us to take another, like to take in another direction and change our strategy. And that's why we focused on not necessarily being technically better, although we still definitely are not going to be lagging behind. We were going to change our positioning. And that's when we became the payment app that, that plants trees. And so we are able to give like a green context to our products, which is something that they couldn't do because of the way they're structured. And that has been a key turning point in, in the, the life of the company. And so I think uh, that's something similar that you're facing. If you want to build an audio app, everyone's going to be like, okay, but what about, you know, Apple podcasts or whatever existing apps? You have to do something different and you have to leverage your own advantages. Definitely. There's a nice short like quote, which is, says, when you're being chased by a big fat bully, run upstairs. So instead of like doing things where he can kind of beat you, you sort of do things that they can't do. So as in, they can't be really agile and nimble. And like, if you're a light person, you can definitely get upstairs faster than they can kind of thing. And so if you're dealing with like big banks or Spotify, you can innovate in ways that they just can't do that quickly. And for us, yeah, Spotify is always going to be able to like spend a shit ton more money on getting like podcasters to be on their platform or to make like a really nice streaming experience, but they can't do sort of, they can't suddenly become like a super social app with like chat and sort of like putting you into like a zoom meeting or something at the end of like listening to a podcast that would just be like kind of nuts for them to just go and do straight away but like you know it's just a feature we can do whatever the hell we want we're inventing our company so we can definitely be very different to what they're doing even if they do like release some forms of social stuff like listening together and things i to, to just like keep bringing up that point i felt like this book like strategy in general is often referred to in business context because obviously it's important there but as some of you may know I'm like I'm a big fan of video games so one of the games I play these days is a battle royale called Warzone and there I realized that like you like every second that you're in the game you're using like you're thinking about okay what's my strategy going to be and to give you one example like basically it's, it's a first person shooter so you're using guns to kill each other if I see someone aiming at me with a sniper and I don't have a sniper what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and get very close to that person because there's a very big difference in the distance of engagement. And so basically what I realized is that when I'm playing that game, what I'm thinking about the whole time is I'm trying to, whenever I know where an enemy is, I'm trying to gain an unfair advantage. And I will always try to avoid engagements if I don't have an unfair advantage. And I realized that that is actually the key to winning the game because basically the, the concept is you are like 150 people get dropped inside a map and your goal is to be the last one to survive. And if you try to have fair fights, like 50-50 fights with every person on the map, the chance that you are going to win is one in 150. And so if you want to increase the chance of winning, you need to make sure that every fight you take is like a 95 to 5, you have a 95% chance of winning. That's the way you can actually consistently be the one that survives it at the end. And so just to, to show these strategies and, and this concept, 
is also useful in other things, uh, specifically video games, because there's often uh, a strategic element there. Yeah, that's quite a good analogy. I was thinking when you said the competition style, as in at a hackathon, we did this thing where you had to play rock, paper, scissors with like the person next to you. There's like a hundred people, but then you kind of get to like the person at the end that like then wins. But like you can't really come up with much of a strategy for rock, paper, scissors. It's always kind of like a 30, 30, 30 chance on who's going to win kind of thing. But I did win. I just went with the same thing every single time. I just couldn't be bothered to think. And like, I don't know how, but I was just like getting people all weirded out on what I might do next. And then I was just like, I'm just playing rock, mate. What the hell? How have I run this entire tournament by just playing rock? It's so stupid. But it's, it's kind of funny. And I really like the example about Hannibal, where, um, which he talks about. And he kind of goes quite deep on sort of strategies that he was using. I just found that an amazing part in terms of just the impact that it had on like Italy and Rome and just sort of where it came from, like coming all the way up from like Africa through Europe and things. And then basically, I think well, the equivalent would be like when Germany first started the Second World War, if you kind of managed to invade like England and kill sort of half of like the American politicians and things. And, and it was just like insane decimation of like Rome that Hannibal managed to do with like one battle. But by just having like a really, really planned out strategy. And like he met on like what seemed like a level playing field and like their armies were both sort of like one of the biggest battles ever of history. It's like a five mile long front on each side of people, but he put like their new recruits from whilst they've been going through Europe in the center of like sort of people that they'd either paid or sort of they kind of forced to come and work with them and things. And they got the people in the center of the line to start like falling backwards and like pretend that they were losing which um, is quite hard because that means actually more of them get killed whilst they're retreating and things. So it's like, it's a big ask of these people that you don't know how to do that. So somehow he managed to convince them to do this. Or maybe they actually did it on purpose and he knew that they would do that. Like no one really knows. But either way, like the Romans sort of went into the center of like Hannibal's army whilst also he wasn't engaging on the side so much and had like his horses come around the back after sort of some time to make it happen. And he essentially managed to encircle the entire huge Roman army, which was bigger than his. And then literally destroyed the entire thing. So he was like this sort of guy in like the other side of the world from where he's from with like half an army that don't even know him very well against like the Romans. And yeah, absolutely wasted them. And then spent the next 10 years basically just owning the whole of Italy, which just goes to show that like a good strategy can um, really affect your outcomes when it sounds like you've got a level playing field. You can really sort of have like a tactical advantage just by like planning ahead and thinking about what people will do and how to play into that. Yeah, true. And I think the lower your natural advantage, the more uh, strategy becomes important. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this was required reading for all the tech stars startups, especially as a startup, this is a very important well, strategy is in general, extremely important because you have way less resources than competition in whatever industry that already exists. And so it's very important to be very smart about allocating your resources and to have an extremely crisp plan of action. So no resources are wasted and you know exactly what you're going for. Um, he also makes the point that for very, very big companies that have been very successful, so almost all successful companies at a certain point have used strategy to their advantage in a successful way. But once you reach a certain point that you're reaping the benefits of the strategies that you had in the past, it's not that important anymore to be very good at strategy. And I think one example today that comes to my mind, and he doesn't necessarily talk about that in his book, is IBM. And so IBM is a very well-known company. They were the biggest business mainframe provider in the early days of the computer. And so today there is a saying in the tech world that is, 
you will never get fired for hiring IBM. And so I used to work as a consultant at a bank. And so we were using some of IBM software and it was absolutely horrible. It was super slow, super inefficient. And, and so like there was, I really hated working with any IBM products. Um, and this is just speaking, me speaking from experience, but still it was like the go-to provider for these kind of services and products, just because they were known to be the best provider of, of, of these kind of solutions in the past. And so it was clear that IBM, they didn't necessarily have this good of a strategy at this time, but they're still reaping the benefits of what they did like a few decades back. And so, yeah, just to reiterate my point there, I think the book states that it's, it's most important whenever you're, you have very limited resources to be very strategic about what you do and to think about it very, very deeply. Yeah. I mean, your strategy does kind of change depending on your circumstances. And like before you have success, it's doing anything at like whatever costs to like make sure you get to success. Whereas once you are successful, it's more like just keeping it going and suddenly you don't want to lose things. So instead of like trying to come up with like some crazy strategy to be different, you could have wanted like, okay, what have we done that works? Can we do more of that? And new things become like the taboo that you sort of don't want to do. So that's why some companies have been able to innovate and stay relevant and some really not. That's why like the stock market, like top 500 always is changing compared to like a hundred years ago. And, um, like Apple 30 years ago, wasn't very big, but now it's like the most profitable company on the planet or like Facebook, the actual Facebook app is like doing kind of shit, but because of their like investing so much in VR and like other apps like Instagram and stuff, they've still stayed relevant and hugely profitable. And like, you know, you, you can hear like so much crap about Facebook in the news and everyone's like, oh, leaving or whatever. But then like the stock market still goes up over the week and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> but like they're still sort of innovating and being very ballsy in, in many ways, despite the fact that they are, are big. Yeah. I really got a, a very big admiration for Apple in general, because the book talks about Apple a few times. And actually, one of the points, and, and we, we can get back to that further, but he talks about um, Apple losing the fight of personal computing because of the Wintel standard. So it's a Windows operating system on the Intel uh, CPU chips. And so there, it seemed in like 20 years ago, in the year 2000, it seemed like Apple has had lost the game because 95% of all personal computers were using Windows operating system and the Intel chips. And so I don't know if you heard about this, Sam, but I think two weeks ago, Apple launched or went public with its, its I think it's the M1 chip. And it's their, their new chip, which it's a different way of doing things than the traditional Intel 86 chips. And so basically 20 years after realizing that they wouldn't be able to beat the Wintel standard, now they actually made something which is doing things almost strictly better than the whatever Intel is producing, just because they're doing it in a different way. And I found it like so surprising that it's after so much time through phone chips, they actually made something that I think will eventually be the way things are done, even for um, uh, laptops, for example. It's uh, pretty fascinating. And uh, well, the whole story that they tell in the book around sort of Steve Jobs and stuff is quite interesting. And I kind of, I can't remember if I'll be remembering like different things. So I think I've been talking about like reading other books on mindset and stuff and just how like Steve Jobs changed from like when he first started Apple compared to like the CEO he was when he came back. But in the book, it definitely gives the example of how lost Apple was during the time that he was not there and how like inconsistent their strategy became when they're kind of releasing sort of printers with like millions of different settings and like different computers that sort of try to like please everyone but then we're just a bit confusing and their line kind of conflicted with itself and when they did get Steve Jobs and I think they had like a month of money left in the bank and stuff and then he came in and thought for like a week and then basically sort of killed like 95% of their products and sort of lots of like sunk costs that they had and he was like well yeah fuck it like no one needs all these different options we know like what the main few problems are for our people so we're going to have like just like one core thing and then like one other type of like computer and that's like the only people that actually 
need our products are going to get those things and if not like then it's not for us we don't have time for building all these different options and just radically reduced their costs and like just made it very consistent so you just knew which one you wanted and just solved the confusion for the customers and then it just carried on growing from then pretty much yeah the point he also made was and i think this is i was going to talk about this this later but one of the key or one interesting principle that he talks about or an insight that he talks about is that you should try and use change to your advantage and so quite often industry shifts bring with them very big opportunities because quite often there's a first mover advantage whenever a new technology appears and so this is something to keep in mind at whatever position that you are things change and so it's important to keep reevaluating one your general strategy and also the assumptions that you've based your guiding policies on because it could be that things have changed so dramatically that it is important for you to change what you're doing i mean your competition might be doing the same thing as you and you need to change again or uh, something completely different but it's also possible to use that to your advantage and so the the author of the book he had the possibility to talk about to talk to steve jobs a few years after he came back to Apple, which was in the late uh, the late 90s, I think. And so he asked Steve Jobs, like, how are you going to beat the Wintel standard that we talked about? And so Steve Jobs said that he actually realized that it was going to be very, very hard to beat the Wintel standard because it had network effects and it was already uh, like dominating the industry. And he said, you know, I'm going to just wait for the next big thing. And it was almost a prophecy because a few years later, he launched the iPod, he, he launched iTunes, he launched launched the iPhone, the iPad. And right now, Apple is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest company in the world. So yeah, I think in this case, he knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, he didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew that change was coming. New technologies were going to change the industry, and he was the first to take full advantage. And so yeah, I think it, it gave me a, a new respect for Apple. And just the fact that like a few weeks ago, they again like changed a certain specific part of the tech industry so significantly uh, shows me that they're still on top of the game. Yeah, definitely. And it goes back into the point we're making earlier about like companies that are successful just keep on doing the same thing. And so he knew that like when there's a change coming, the other people are kind of probably just going to stay on focused on the thing like, hey, great, we've got these chips. We only like this a PC market. And then we're just going to like carry on doing that rather than like really pounce on like the new opportunities. And yeah, which also goes into I guess like the Red Queen hypothesis, like I don't know if you've read that book by Matt Ridley, but especially, you know, from Alice in Wonderland, when she's like with the Red Queen trying to like keep up with her and they're running super fast and she's just like constantly falling behind. And then the Red Queen says like, well, however fast you run, you must run twice as fast as that. And it's just like, however much you innovate and keep up in sort of evolution of business and uh, evolution and things is like people are always adapting their strategies as well and things. So that's why you need to kind of keep on being innovative and such with your strategies and thinking of ways that you can win. Hence with like Steve Jobs sort of coming up with new things just because of the changes always come and like time is constantly moving. So you can't ever just sort of rely on the same thing, which is annoying because once you get good at something, you kind of like, okay, fine, I'll just relax and be good at this thing. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk a bit about what good strategy is not because uh, the book is good strategy, bad strategy, and it talks quite a lot about bad strategy. And I, I also find it pretty interesting because you you always hear about strategy, you hear stories and you're like, okay, this is strategy. So I guess, you know, this successful company uses this as their strategy. So it probably must be a good strategy, but quite often it is not. And so I think his main point in the beginning is that strategy is not setting ambition goal, ambitious goals or having a vision or having a lot of charisma. And so he says that around the 60s, many authors started ascribing leaders' success by their vision combined with their charisma. And this has resulted in a lot of bad strategy based on ambitious goal setting. And so an example is that he gives in the book is a small tech company that had the 2020 plan 
And so it was going to be executed in the year 2005. So it doesn't have to do anything with, with this year. But their goal was to have 20% revenue growth and 20% profit margin. And that was going to be their, their, their strategy. And so it, it sounds pretty clear when you heard like this, but obviously like setting yourself ambitious goals is not a strategy. Like it doesn't, if that's your strategy, you're missing a few key points and everyone can set themselves goals. The hard part is to figure out a way to get there. And so that is the most important part of a strategy. It is like actionable insights and actions that will allow you to reach the goals that you set yourself. And so as long as there's no actions, we're not really talking about a strategy. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's annoying. So then a lot of what we've been going through with textiles is like, okay, how do we set ambitious goals? And how do we have a big vision? And how do we show that we have so much charisma? And it's very easy as like the leaders to kind of think that that's your job. And then you kind of, it's hard to come up with all those things as well. And then you get there and you kind of can tell it to your team and then you're like, okay, fine, I'm done. And then you still find that like the team don't always know what they're doing and you kind of micromanage them each day because they're getting a bit lost on stuff and like you're ridiculously inefficient and you need to kind of go from like the the top level of like this ambitious goals and start breaking them down. So something I've been working through is called like the lean value tree with my team, where we've sort of, we've gone through together and we've set like, what are the main mission is and like so there are three big goals for like the next six months but then we're kind of going through okay so if for each of these goals how are we going to get there like what are our main strategies and you, you create things called like strategic bets where you maybe have that kind of five to ten different like bets that are working on so let's say we want to have ten thousand users okay what are the kind of the growth tools that we're using to get there and we sort of we go through different ones and see like where we can win and which ones are going to give us like the biggest like reward on like time investment and money or whatever and sort of to work out like where our advantages are and make sure that we're executing on those things and then within each strategic bet you then sort of set like sort of mini objectives and how you're going to like go through each thing and so everyone starts to become aware of like how the whole business is working towards getting this mission and so everyone understands why like okay the coders understand why like the marketers need help with certain analytics or different things and everyone starts to understand the rest of the organization and gets a bit more bought into it and it's been a really useful and fun process for us to go to we literally started doing it last week and that's just because of like actually yeah we realized that as managers we're trying to sort of help people do things and we're giving these things that make sense for us but they're kind of a bit like well why am i like reaching out to 25 people like a day on this thing and and stuff and just kind of giving trying to give people as much autonomy as they can to make decisions without us because like we employ smart people like why can't we let them just be smart and do things for themselves instead of like me having to set like granular objectives for every single day it's just stupid and yeah so that that has really helped and is something that is annoying because of like on textiles and stuff we got like just like the top half of it which actually wasn't the good strategy it was just sort of a sort of wrapping our head around a vision but doesn't actually help people and like i did like a clarity survey on on the company around like how much how well people understand what we're doing and things and like people sort of reckon that they 90 percent got the vision and the mission and stuff i'm like i don't even quite know how to explain this thing to you fully and then like okay why are they even doing tasks and stuff they sort of got like worse and worse and it was just it was quite interesting to see like where our problems were and where people just thought they were getting lost versus where they actually were getting lost and yeah so so far it's been very helpful but it's uh, not the easiest process and takes kind of a lot of time and but it's just really good to do it when you get everyone else bought into it i was gonna say there's a few points more on like the four major hallmarks of bad strategy which isn't like a story as such but the first one is fluff which is a strategy written in gibberish masking as strategic concepts it's, it's just like a classic bad strategy so like just extra sort of superfluous words in your mission statement around like enriching users lives or something and when you're like but well what does that mean as in <laughs> and so yeah leveraging fluff. synergies yeah yeah another <laughs> one is failure to face the challenge so like, as we said you need to define the challenge and if you don't define it 
you can't really overcome it because it's impossible to actually evaluate like what the challenge is and, and it's just really hard to improve when you haven't got the challenge that you're facing uh the third one is mistaking goals for strategy as you said so many bad strategies is a statement of desire rather than like a plan to actually get over the obstacle so as you said it's great to have 20 percent growth everybody wants that but what's the actual plan to reach that and then the final one was just bad strategic objectives where there is no means to overcoming it anyway so um strategic objectives are bad if they fail to address critical issues or when they're like impractical so it doesn't make sense to be setting an objective that sounds really ambitious and good if there is just like no way of achieving it or you don't even like if you couldn't even or overcome. measure it. yeah so, it's um, like uh we, we want to be the world's leading social podcast app it could be your strategy but then yeah what does it mean to be the world if we're the first leading? one then aren't we the leader anyway maybe yeah exactly but it's 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 not a target right it's like it's it's yeah it's a bit of fluff as well you know it's, it's just not, not measurable yeah then there's he goes a bit deeper on like different forms of bad strategy I don't know if you've got notes on these ones, but like the first one he talks about is dog's dinner objectives, which is just like a long to-do list, which is sort of often mislabeled as strategies or objectives, but the list just kind of grows and grows. And you have like planning meetings and different stakeholders will state that they want to accomplish, accomplish different things. And it turns into initiatives, but it's not actually a strategic plan. It's just like a bunch of things. And you kind of just agree to them so like no one has their feelings hurt because people like to sort of be heard and feel like they're involved. But then often things will be like, oh, that sounds like a great thing. We'll put it on the long-term list. And you just end up with like long-term list of all the stuff you're going to do, but you're never actually going to do. And you haven't really evaluated it. Is this part of our real strategy or is this just sort of like something that someone wants to do at some point and no one like feels strongly enough to say no to. But if you have like a good strategy, you'll like remove objectives or like if it's on the long-term list, it has, there's a real reason for it being there. And what you're doing today is definitely leading up to like the next thing. Yeah, it's to, to pick on to that. I think uh, one of the key insights I had as well is that it's to have a good strategy and to execute a good strategy, it's extremely important to be able to say no. And so I think to get back to our story of David and Goliath, uh, David said no to receiving the armor, which in theory would have been a good thing. You know, in general, protecting yourself in a battle is seen as a good thing, but it was not in line with his strategy and the strategy was to be fast and nimble and so you should be able to say no which is i think why strategy should be executed and decided on by a limited number of people usually because if you have too many people trying to think or decide on the strategy there's going to be too many objectives and everyone's going to have their say um, and their opinion heard and it needs to be very focused and i have the feeling that if you're more than five people or five different departments especially it's going to be very hard to have a, a very coherent strategy that is going to be effective anyway so you were saying some forms of vaterizing right? so yes. your dog's dinner and then next one is blue sky objectives which is an objective which is basically just a simple restatement of like the desired state of affairs or challenge and it, so it skips over like the annoying facts that you need to deal with and no one has a clue like how to get there so it's just very sort of like oh wouldn't it be great if we did this and like we've already spoken about this is there's no like coherence around like the actual plan to get there and things and there is blue skies just sort of i think we all have friends that just kind of like that often made big statements when you're young and things that just talk about like huge things you're going to do or like even now like you talk to people who just sort of talk about stuff but they never like make it happen like oh I'm, I'm gonna be rich or i'm gonna be like fit and stuff but you're like well shouldn't you be focusing on okay i want to like be able to run for 10 minutes a day and then like grow that to like being able to run like five kilometers or something and they want to sort of, they don't go to like the specific details they're just like oh just like the ambitious kind of big goal and don't really think at all about the practicalities so yeah blue sky objectives is is one and then the final one is like unwillingness or inability to choose 
So any strategy that has a universal buy-in signals often an absence of like difficult choices because of probably someone's wants needs to get like killed or or hurt or something. And so you need a strategy that, that focuses your resources, energy and attention on just a few objectives rather than like all of them. And changing strategy will often make some people worse off than others in an organization. And yeah, you just need to acknowledge that there, there will be like powerful forces opposing what you want to do to any change in strategy. Like so one department will like maybe have to lose some people or like have a different funding or just change a lot of what they're doing as a result. And if you can't choose, you'll just never get there. And you just sort of keep things going just because like it's there and like, oh, well, we've got this thing. And you really do need to sort of think about sunk costs and actually be okay with sort of losing them rather than just be like, okay, well, this thing's here. So it's quite a hard one. Yeah. So I was going to say that the company graveyard is filled with companies who are trying to you know, not step on anyone's toes and keep different product lines going because there were a lot of people working in each of these product lines and they couldn't fire anyone or they couldn't fire the whole department. So they had to keep doing all of them at the same time, which resulted in companies completely going bankrupt and everyone losing. So sometimes hard choices need to be made. Indeed. Yeah. So basically it states that like any unit, if you have a strategy with a universal buy-in, it often indicates that the leader has been unwilling to make a difficult choice or set a guiding policy. So it's it's really nice to hear that because of obviously as a leader, you want to please everyone. And so if you actually have alarm bells for doing that, that that's really handy because certainly it's kind of weird to state this, but like I've had to fire someone in the last few weeks and I really didn't want to because he was a nice guy and he kind of got involved because of it. He was a mate of mine from climbing and stuff and saw him in the gym and like got talking and stuff and like I convinced him to come join the company. And then it's like <laughs> a month later, I have to fire him and it's kind of hard. But I sort of enjoyed the fact that like, I was owning up to my own mistakes and having to deal with them now and setting like, okay, I really need to be very strict about who is in this company and like it can only have like the absolute best perfect people and that I'm going to have to face probably more difficult things than this. And so it was like, okay, this is hard, but it's not as hard as it's probably going to be, but it's going to teach me how to do hard things. So in some ways I kind of enjoyed that, even though like, the whole conversation things I hated and like letting someone down and, and this stuff was well, bad. Well, you, you probably didn't enjoy firing anyone, but you realized that it was good for you in the long run. So that's where you had a relatively good feeling about it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And sort of being like, okay, this is a difficult decision that I need to make and I'm acting on it quickly before yeah. it gets worse and stuff. Yeah, I guess in that sense. <laughs> also, is like our new CTO is super awesome, but he's a little bit different on our strategy. And so like we were sort of talking about like our different missions as a group and his was a bit different and felt a bit bad being like, so basically this one's a bit like left field, but he's going to shoot it down. And so I felt a bit rude being like, oh, also, yeah, we, we want to kind of do that as a thing, but also, no, we're going to be clear and this will be our, be our strategy. I think now talking about this, I kind of realized because I was originally kind of trying to like talk to him and be like, okay, it's fine. We'll, we'll work out how to like do this. He's like, wait, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do the one thing because that's what we need to do. And otherwise we're going to be like trying to do five different things. And it's certainly a risk of an, if he is the one leading development that he, he just never quite does the things that we need to do if he wants to like do that thing that he's prioritizing a bit more. So we do need to make sure that everyone's on the same wavelength, different things try to get into that statement at once. And um, have you heard of the Amazon philosophy of disagree and commit? Yeah, I had to teach that to um, one of my business partners, which came out wrong when I said, okay, I'm disagreeing and commit because of he wanted to do something more stronger than I wanted to do it differently, even though I wasn't happy with the choice. But I, kept, but I said like, okay, I'm disagreeing and committing. It's like, stop disagreeing with me. They're like, no, 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 this is a good thing. Because basically disagree and commit is where you acknowledge that it's not what you want to do, but you put like all your resources behind just doing it. And you're like, okay, sure. I can be an adult about this. Like I'm going to actually do it properly because people will often sort of disagree. And they, so someone will win the argument, but you win it in a style that like, you feel like you're then doing it, but then the other person then just 
goes and does the other thing in private. And that's how even when you set really good strategy as a leader, it still doesn't work because people then just go and do their own thing. And it's very important to have a culture where people commit to what the actual strategy is, even if it if they're disagreeing with it, which because we've spoken just about the strategy side of like setting it, but actually getting buy-in is just as important to your strategy. Like with the um Hannibal Kanai thing is in great people are going to like lose their lives and look like shit fighters because of his strategy. Like, do they want to do that? Probably not, but he had to get them to buy into it. So that's why it's such an important thing to actually get people to understand why they're doing it and to sort of accept your leadership in that sense, which is hard because of, you know, there's so much going on, just trying to work out what it is you should be doing. And then you've got like this mind games going on around how to like make sure that people buy into it and do it stuff, which is why I'm kind of interested to go into coaching like I was talking to Nick about like what our next seasons would be. And it's like, hey, actually, as a CEO, I think my next step is actually to kind of really develop people, but also develop myself as a leader and really get people to like buy in and understand why they're doing things and yeah, perform at their utmost for the company and themselves. And it's like, it's a whole other world on top of strategy. I think that's like also essential. That's super yeah. interesting. Yeah, disagree and commit because um, it made me think about, you know, I, I talked earlier about video games. So the same game, you could play it on your own, but you could also play it in team. And sometimes there's one person who is like, okay, let's do this thing. And often I'm like, I don't think it's the best strategy, but like from a game theory point of view, even though I disagree, I should fully commit to that strategy because if, if you try to execute two different strategies at the same time, there's one thing sure and it's not going to work. So it's very important indeed to be able to be the bigger man and actually commit to something you actually disagree with because that will increase your chance of success anyway. So yeah, it was a, good, it was a cool concept. I'm going to remember that. Disagree and commit. Cool. There's a whole chapter about what are different sources of power, but I feel like they, the, well, we could discuss those, but that's going to take another hour, I feel. So I think we're going to leave that at that. Like if this concept interests you and if you're interested, like, okay, but where can I find strong strategies and what might help me? I think you should just read the whole book or listen to it. That's an important point. I think if I would summarize everything, I think it's realize what your competitive advantage is and then focus everything that you have on that competitive advantage in a coherent way. And if you're ever in doubt, think about David and Goliath. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, perfect. Good. All right. Ratings. Go, Sam. I like the book. I feel like I've got so much more out of this conversation than I have from reading the book, maybe, because I think I've read it three times now and I don't think it really did that much to my strategy. And it was like, I've then had other problems coming on with my strategy in the business. And my mate showed me like the lean values tree thing that I spoke about and I started implementing that, which really had a much bigger effect on my strategy than reading this book ever did. However, when I discussed it with you, I'm like, shit, these are all the things that made so much more sense. And I think having like the results of what I've been doing with my business with where we've gone through the hooked book and together I'm like okay maybe I'm going to like give a presentation on some of these things and get us to sort of do some of this stuff together as leaders and things and so I think it is not going to have a big effect but it took us to have this whole conversation together first to make that happen so <laughs> my rating would be like a three if you just sort of read it to yourself because nothing will happen and you maybe will remember a few stories but if you're going to discuss it with someone and like implement it then like a nine so that's confusing and i guess i'm just gonna say if you're gonna implement it then yes an eight you should definitely do this if if you're just finding around with your life thinking about something to read for fun then maybe don't bother interesting in my opinion i think this book is is more relevant than in this series in this season in general for for the average person because i feel like you can apply it to a lot of things you can apply it on your career on business but also on playing monopoly with your family you know so personally i'm going to give it a seven in general which is more than the, I gave to most of the books in this series. 
So I guess that runs up this episode. So this actually is also the last episode of this season. And for the next season, we will be going into the human body in general. So everything from health, longevity, sleeping. So we're going to be seeing how we can optimize our bodies. And so we're starting with the book called If Our Bodies Could Talk, Guides to Operating and Maintaining a Human Body, written by James Hamblin and Hallie Bateman. And so this book was recommended to me by my girlfriend, now fiance. Congrats. Thanks, man. And so anyway, so she's been discussing the book like over dinner. She's been telling me things and I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. I want to read more. I think it's going to be a great starting point. She uh, going to be joining us for that episode? Uh, might be a good idea. I mean, she's not an expert in the field. If we ever talk about development economics, then we should definitely have her on. But uh, I, can, I can ask her. It'd be cool. All right. Let's uh, call it an episode and see you next episode. Cheers. Hey there. Nico here, your second favorite host of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Sam and I would like to get some feedback from you. So what we're going to do from now on is each episode, we're going to select one random comment from the past weeks, and we will give them a free electronic version of the book that we've just read. So if you like what we are doing, or if you don't like what we're doing, or if you have a comment or a question, just reach out and we might be in touch. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, We are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app. Listen to the same things at the same time or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favorite bits and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial, and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favor and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com, and I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast.